0: This one might turn into a two-parter. I don't know. I'll have to see where it goes because I was debating which avenue I was going to take because it can be just like a personal story, my story, every facet of what happened, yada yada, or it could be kind of like a helpful how-to, you know, so I think... I'm going to try and swing both, which is obviously going to make it longer, because I'll I'll literally be talking about everything. Um, I want to start off with acknowledging the answer to everyone's question, and that's no. I'm not planning on getting back into journalism anytime soon, especially not in Denver. So... My relationship with the editors here is very strained. They knew me in college. I interned at a few publications, one of them being the biggest one in Colorado. And the relationship that I had with that editor, those editors, I had multiple editors, the relationship that I had with them was not the best. I'm just going to come out and say they just really didn't like me. I don't think that they liked me as a person, and they definitely didn't like my work. They didn't think I was a good journalist. They didn't think I was a good reporter. They didn't think I was a good writer. So, with that being said, <laughs> and taking into consideration, I guess, like, everything that I've accomplished, like, mostly just the bylines, the publications I've had bylines in, taking that into consideration, for fuck's sake, anyone can do this. <laughs> um, I would like to think my personality had has carried me kind of a lot of the different places I've gone and the different publications I've been in and the relationship that I have had with editors that were good, but all in California. Um, Because my, (laughs) I'm pretty tenacious. I have, you know, dedication and like moxie, I guess, where I did tell them, I said, you know, anything short, I will, I will show up at a source's house if they're not getting back to me. You know what I mean? And that's something that they really admire. But right now, I am living the slowest life possible because that job is so stressful and takes so much out of you because... Technically, it's a creative role. So I would like to think that if you create something, people understand that that's like your child. Okay, you birthed it, you created it, and you like it, obviously. But since journalism is very kind of corporate, I don't know what other word to use in terms of it's just it's a job like it's not they don't really kind of take that into consideration okay they just sit there and they tear your work apart and they look at you and say you know this is just how it is you know you should have to get used to this this is just the way it is but it's just kind of like why why do we why do we why does it have to be like that so I did get used to that but it's very like draining. And it's just not something right now I want in my life. I feel like I've accomplished enough. (laughs) I've proved to myself and my family, my parents mostly, and other people who didn't think I could do it. And now I'm kind of just like, okay, now I'm done. (laughs) Like, I'm, t- I'm retired. So, yeah, I don't have any plans to get back into journalism because my ambition, I used to have a shit ton of amb- ambition toward that, and that's pretty much how I got where I went. But that ambition now is funneled elsewhere, and it's mostly funneled into things that actually make me happy. Because the problem that I ran into was I always thought that I'll be happy when. I'll be happy when I get into this publication or that publication. Then I will feel accomplished. Then I will feel, um, what do they call it, like valued and, you know, um, verified. You know, I'll feel like finally I've been validated. That's the word I was looking for but it never came you know the target was always moving and that's that's something that people talk about a lot actually i with being creative and and trying to get bigger and better things is you have to be really careful about the target not moving okay well i wasn't and it made me really empty i remember when i got like a byline that i was A major byline. So it was like top five publications in America. I got a byline in one of them. A couple, actually. But I sat on the edge of my bed and literally thought to myself, I thought this would feel better. And it was like a big moment for me where it was just kind of like, fuck, what do I do now? Because my entire life had been centered around this. My entire life was just focused on doing this. And I put all of my energy into it. All of my worth into it. And when I got there, I looked around and was like, okay. And that's shitty. And I don't want to feel that anymore. So now I put my time and energy and my ambition into things that feed my soul and actually provide me with fulfillment. Not that 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 wasn't fulfilling, but I don't know what it was. It just made me feel really hollow. So now when people ask me, what do I do? Because the thing is, is that like, I kind of don't believe in jobs anymore or careers. I should say, I don't really believe in success. I think that success is a myth. I think it's just something that people talk about here in America as like a capitalism thing to make you wanting to, to want you to climb higher, climb the, the corporate ladder. Oh, if you have a fancy title, ooh, you've made it. Um, I've realized that making it is just being happy because that's difficult enough. So now when people ask me, What do you do? Because that's a fucking terrible question. We put so much time, energy, and worth into our jobs. It's the first thing we ask about somebody else when a majority of people don't even like their jobs. Sure, it's the thing that they do for most of their life or 40 hours a week, whatever, but like, a majority of people don't even want to work. So why do we ask them that? Why don't we ask them what their hobbies are? Or, what is something that brought you joy today, yesterday, or this week? That's something that's so much more grounded in life because we're here for a blip of a moment. And to spend it boxing things at Amazon or pouring drinks or something, I don't know. It just seems like kind of a waste. So now, when people ask me, "What do you do?", I say, mm, "Not much," <laughs> and I garners two responses. The first response is usually from older people, and I have a kind of a idea of why that might be. But or older people generally generally reply. With laughter. They think it's just, it's a funny reply, which is what I'm going for. Because obviously, like, I know what you're asking me. And I'm just playing dumb and wanting to reply with what I want to reply with. And I'm just ignoring the fact that you mean, what do you do for work? What do you do for money? The second reply usually comes from people my age. Honestly, people who I'm like, on a date with, like a first date with from like Tinder, when I say, "Mm, not much, they think that I'm the stupidest person on this planet and they get kind of mad and like kind of frustrated because they know I know what they mean and I'm choosing to take it a different path. But they hold their jobs in such high regard to who they are and I don't want to tote around a woman who has a who has a lame job <laughs> I don't know maybe it, I I just assume that that's what they feel because when I talk with my friends that's kind of how they see men too you know they say oh well he's a 10 he's a catch he has a real job and I always say what's that <laughs> because my shift in labor has changed so massively to where when you stand in front of me and you say he has a real job i really want to know what that means what category is real and what category is not real does it have to do with money does it have to do with status i really want to know what splits them and decides um, where they go into which bubble? And of course, it's different with everybody. So you can have somebody who thinks, you know, being a bartender or whatever, is a real job, whereas you might have somebody else who says, no, that's not a real job. A real job is being a, a civil engineer or fucking something. So a lot of people actually can't answer <laughs> that question and they actually kind of get frustrated with me which is fine because i've worked a lot on my security with my job i used to get really upset by it when people would say that driving for uber isn't a real job and i used to get really defensive and i used to say you know well, they pay me real money <laughs> like it's i pay my rent with it like at what like what doesn't make it a real job and i think we've all kind of come to the conclusion that it's because it's not steady. Like, it's not an hourly wage. But the thing is, is that, like, I never really make under $20 an hour. So that doesn't really apply. Uh, you know, I don't really get that. But what's interesting is that everybody thought that me being a journalist was a real job. However, I was significantly below the poverty line. Um, I made... Such little money, you won't even believe it. People think that, like, oh, you're published, your name's in the newspaper, you're probably making good money. No, no, you don't. I mean, writers in any regard, authors, bloggers, I mean, maybe bloggers actually, but majority of writers don't make a lot of money. However, why did people? Why were people under the impression that that was a real job? And see, that's what I'm talking about when I say status. Because people thought that it was a real job because it was important. It sounded good. It sounded sexy. Like, oh, I don't even know any journalists. Wow, you're a journalist? I've never met a journalist before. You know, it was cool. You know, driving for Uber, anyone can do that. I can get a 2009 Toyota Corolla, a gold one. You know what I'm talking about? And sign up and be on the road in an hour. So it's like coveted or something. You worked so hard to get. No one can just roll out of bed and become a journalist in an hour. But the thing is, is like, actually, you kind of can. As long as you have a code of ethics. I mean, you can find editors' emails online and pitch them. Anyone can be a journalist. You don't have to go to school. I mean, I did, but you don't have to. So... It's just been very interesting, the shift that I've made in my life in terms of what I want, what's important to me, and how people have interpreted that within themselves and then projected it back onto me. Because like I said, I used to be really insecure about it, but now I'm not. So I kind of don't give a fuck (laughs) if you think that it's like, you know, literally whatever you think. About me going from working and using my degree, my four year degree that I worked really hard on, and doing some close to no skill labor instead. I don't know. It just kind of, I just don't care because I'm so much happier with the time that I have not stressing over. Was that factually correct? Did I just turn in a factually incorrect story to my editor and now I'm going to have to write a correction? Oh my God, like my mind doesn't shut up. I was never able to relax. And that's what they say about being self employed because when I was a journalist, I was a freelancer. So technically, I was self employed, I invoiced people. Um, I made my own hours, yada, yada, yada. But the thing is with that is that it never stops. I always feel like I should be working. I always feel like I should be pitching, cold emailing, cold calling, Googling, taking notes, finding stories. Always, always, always. And it was very, very draining. And like I said, once I accomplished kind of like the thing that I – thought would never happen. And not only that, but like what other people thought would never happen. I'm not even going to lie. Yes, I did it to prove other people wrong who didn't like me. But it felt really good. It did feel really good. But I'm done now. (laughs) I've accomplished enough. So I'm going to start from the beginning. And the beginning starts with me interning for free At the Loveland Reporter Herald in Loveland, Colorado. And I wrote a few stories for them. And one of them got picked up by the Denver Post. The biggest publication in Colorado. They were in the same news group. So they were allowed to take my story and run it in their publication. However, it was a great look for me. Because I literally emailed them and said, Hey... I started running my work, so, you know, that means you like it, and I think that I could be a real asset to your publication. I mean, what's the gist of it? Obviously, it was a lot more professional than the tone that I'm describing in it now, (laughs) using to describe it now, but it worked. Um, They called me in for an interview, and I'm not going to lie, I had, like, two shots of vodka before. And I really hope they didn't smell that. (laughs) Because I actually did that again at a publication in um, Los Angeles. And I honestly really think that I did smell like tequila. That was a bad look. Anyway, so I got an internship at the Denver Post. So I had two internships at the Love and Love Reporter Herald, Herald, and then I got one at the Denver Post. But what's interesting is that I had actually interviewed for the Denver Business Journal before that, and I didn't get it. But an interesting side story to that is that I was in my ethics uh, in journalism class and the kid, he wasn't a kid, uh, the man sitting in front of me was talking about how he just landed an internship at the Denver Business Journal. And I joked about it. I told him, I said, oh, my God, I just I interviewed there, too, with Boots, right, the editor. And I was like, guess I didn't get it. (laughs) And then I was like, but, like, congratulations. And he, the way he responded was pretty much like, oh, well, it sucks to suck, you know? Which was like, okay, dick. But, you know, whatever. Moving on. And then the Denver Post thing happened, like, a week later. And, you know, got the confirmation that I got it. And I had actually confided in my... Um, ethics and journalism professor before the interview because I was kind of freaking out and I wanted help and guidance on, you know, kind of tidbits of what I should do during this interview. So he knew that I was interviewing for this. So the day that I got the email that I had got it actually went to that class. And I went up to him at his desk before class started and I told him that I had landed this this, um, internship. And you know what he said to me? Which was actually really funny and something that had already crossed my mind. He said, I'm so proud of you, Shannon. Actually, just kill yourself now because it doesn't get any better than this. What a weird thing to say. <laughs> like, what a strange thing to say. I mean, it resonated with me, not going to lie. But, like, what if it didn't <laughs> what if it didn't like okay anyway he said that and i thought it was funny and that's great and then he took it about himself to go into the uh, the front of the class and announce it pretty much everybody i wanted you to know to congratulate shannon she just got an internship at the denver post and everybody turned and looked at me and they were like, yay. And like a little clap and stuff. And I was like, mm, hi. And, and the guy, because even though we didn't have assigned seats, everybody pretty much sat in the same spot. So he was still in front of me. Turned around and said, you got an internship at the Never Post? And I was like, hmm You know, like, because this was such a moment that everybody was looking at me and I was like, ah. So I was like, mm-hmm. And, um... He looked really mad. (laughs) He looked really pissed. And it's like, bro, stop comparing yourself to other people. The thing is, is that like, I wasn't fucking mad that you got the Denver Business Journal internship over me. There are plenty of newspapers. There are plenty of routes to take to get into the business. And like, who cares what other people are doing? This isn't a competition between you and me, even though we both interviewed for the same thing and and one person won and the other person lost. It's not like that. So, yeah, he had this like scowl on his face and, you know, he said congratulations, but like he didn't mean that. So we ended up following each other or like being connections or whatever the fuck on LinkedIn. I shouldn't have allowed that because this guy and I hate the word, but like he's a fucking hater. (laughs) was wrong with this guy? Part of it that I guess didn't make me look good in the journalism department because, you know, we're all taking classes with each other. We all pretty much like kind of know each other. And I was always a fan of TMZ because their reporting is so accurate. If they report somebody is dead, that person is dead. CBS can report it and everybody is kind of like, really? Who's, who's confirming this? You know what I mean? If TMZ comes out with that shit, you know it's the, it's the truth. That's really what happened. Like, I, I trust them. And I had said I would, th- I would work for TMZ. And everybody thought that that was so lame. You're not a real journalist. You want to do celebrity gossip. You want to do fluff pieces. Bro, shut the fuck up. All y'all, shut the fuck up. Who gives a fuck what I do? Who cares what I do? Who cares what I say? No one. I don't even care. So why do you? <laughs> I, I just, to this day, I love reminding people, who cares about me? <laughs> who cares? Who cares? So I think that, that had something to do with this guy comparing me to himself is that this girl wants to do celebrity gossip at TMZ. She's not a real journalist. She doesn't want to be a real journalist. She doesn't give a fuck about about hard news. But she's doing better than me, quote unquote. She got a pr- more, she got a bigger internship at a bigger publication that has more clout better editors or whatever more readers in the Colorado so that makes me look like shit because I'm I want to do hard news and she doesn't and look where she is oh my god I don't even know I mean that's just like my guess because obviously this is a silent feud that's like against my will (laughs) you know I don't give a fuck about this guy But yet he's so obsessed with my career and where I'm going and what I've accomplished and what I haven't. And and, uh, he wants me to fail. And I know that because when the pandemic hit, so like I said, we were connected on LinkedIn. So my connections, a few of them were with editors and hiring managers from TMZ. And you can see each other's connections, I'm pretty sure, whoever you're interacting with, whatever. So my connections on my page were with people in California, Los Angeles, with people from the Los Angeles Times and the LA Daily News. And so when COVID hit, um, since I covered events, I I pretty much lost my job, even though I was self-employed. And, you know, people say like, oh, well, that's not a thing. You can't lose your job when you're self-employed. You just pivot. But the thing was, is that like, There's nothing really to pivot to (laughs) like I had a niche and it was covering events, which by the way, I say niche like the way the French do, because it's a French word. People here who say niche bother me. Stop, stop being American. It's annoying. It sounds like shit. (laughs) Say niche. (laughs) Anyway, so yeah, I had a, I had a beat even though I was general assignment um you know it was events it was art walks it was beer festivals it was school shootings it was candlelight vigils but none of that was happening anymore because we were all staying inside so I didn't have anything to cover anymore I covered some of the closings you know the aquariums now closed botanical gardens are now closed shit like that but You know, I had to file for pandemic unemployment assistance and everything like that. So when I changed that on my LinkedIn, they actually created this option where you could say available for work, you know, like just hit me up, you know, things that freelancers do, right? Independent contractors do is I'm available. So I changed that on my LinkedIn and it, I guess, showed up on everybody else's feed as a post and he liked it. (laughs) He had no interaction with me ever. Um, It had been years. So I graduated in 2017, and this was obviously in 2020. So that's, you know, 17, 18, 19, 20, three years of nothing. And then when I have something, a post that's, you know, kind of negative, I guess, it's kind of unfortunate. Oh, Shannon lost her job. Heart. I like that. What the fuck is that? Stupid. Fucking stupid. So I don't know what's up with this guy. (laughs) But like I said, he's like obsessed with comparing his career to my career. It's really weird. It's really strange. I hope you find something better in your life. I hope you get um, a new and better fulfilling hobby other than this because it's weird. And, you know, we're not in high school. I am 30 years old. And um, I don't subscribe to this. I unsubscribe. (laughs) So there's that. Anyway, so going back to my internship at the Denver Post, um, I was kind of going through a lot at the time. And I know that's no excuse. And that was actually the worst part of it is that I couldn't use it as an excuse. But When something affects your brain that deeply, it's really hard to create. And being creative, you need that in journalism, even though it's like a um, hard and fast career, you know? So my boyfriend at the time dumped me at a wedding in Vail. And it was like kind of traumatizing he, um like, put his hands on me at one point. It was very earth-shattering at the time. And that happened two weeks before I started my internship at the Denver Post. And so I was a little rattled. Like, I just was a little numb, right? Like, I just had a lot going on in my personal life. So it was really hard for me to be creative. It was really hard for me to focus. And... At the same time, I was taking 22 credits um, that semester. So if you haven't gone to college, 12 or 15 is the normal rate of credits to take in a semester. And I was taking 22. 22 is a shit ton. I had to get approval from the dean to do it. Okay. Because they didn't want me, you know, as a pancake Off of the tallest building on campus. And I understand now why. Because it was awful. (laughs) I don't recommend it. Don't do it. It sucked. It was awful. I hated it. It did not make me stronger. It made me weaker. (laughs) It sucked. So that is the vibe and the energy and what my life is trying to be the best reporter that I can be at this huge internship when like I've never done this before I didn't even like really have that much interest in being a reporter when I changed my major I just wanted to be a writer and I picked journalism instead of English because I thought that there would be more job opportunities bro I don't know so that's how I came into this is that I just like want to write, but I hadn't really learned how to write at any moment. See, that's the thing that writers have to break through um, once they've practiced enough and had enough experience because a lot of people, when they write, they have to be in the mood. The thing is, though, is that when you're doing it for a job, as a career, as a profession, you can't fucking wait for that. You have to produce right now, every day consistently and it's really hard even when you like writing it's really hard I have a lot of people say you know oh you're a writer oh my god I could never write essays in class they were so hard I can't do it I don't know how you can do it and I'm sitting there thinking I don't know how I do it either I love it and I hate it and it's painful It puts me in physical pain. And you can talk to any fucking writer and they'll say the same thing. For whatever reason, writing as an art form is just painful. Like, I don't know how else to describe it. It hurts you physically. I don't know if you've ever seen the tweets of like, you know, opening final draft and sitting in front of a blank document for eight hours counts as writing (laughs) because that's Actually, kind of what happens sometimes. It's just like not pa- like painting, you can just do it. You don't have to think about it. You can just give it a whirl. But like, you can't do that with writing. You actually have to think. And sometimes your brain just doesn't want to do it, it just doesn't want to go there. And so, the thing that you have to do if you want to be a professional writer is you have to learn how to write when you're not in the mood. It's like literally why Stephen King got so addicted to cocaine. Like, I wish I could. do I, I guess I could. I guess I could do that. I don't want to. And I'm not going to like, ruin my life over this. I'm just going to get more disciplined. But that's what literally every writer struggles with. And it's part of the reason why I didn't want to be an employee at newspaper. It's why I wanted to continue being a freelancer. Because when you're an employee at a newspaper, you are required to write three stories a day. That's a fucking lot. I can't write. I can't. I could write that many stories, but I can't find that many stories. Finding stories is really hard. And yeah, sometimes I pitch but most of the time, I'd just get assignments. Most of the time, they would just email me assignments. And I'd be like, yep, I'm available. I can do that. And then I'd go. I'd cover the event. I'd write it up. I'd send it in. I'd invoice them. Bingo, bango. Ready to go, go. Done. So that was my, my work um, routine. But sometimes they would email me the day of... My deadline would be four hours. Like I had four hours to go to this event, interview people, go home. Maybe if I had time, sometimes I would have to write it on my BlackBerry in my car and email it them because I didn't have time to go home and to transcribe, you know, the interview to make sure that I'm quoting people accurately. So a lot of time and precision went in to this type of writing with not a lot of time to actually get it done so you're stressing and then once you file it for me at least i would sit there in pain and agony waiting for my editor to reply back with this is shit shannon why would you even file this This is dog shit for whatever reason i would just always wait for that response because i don't believe in myself apparently it's my inner child (laughs) um That never happened. That like literally never happened. I would always get positive feedback from my editor. My editor literally told me that he was like my biggest fan. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't understand why writers hate themselves so much, but it's actually really common. It's not just me. It's something that I talk about and hear a lot about in the community. So I don't know what it is. It's just a really hard profession, uh, just in general. But I think as a journalist, since you have an editor who kind of doesn't really care about your feelings most of the time, and you have readers who think that they can do your job, um, you know, so much better, it just takes a lot out of you. It takes a lot out of you. And, you know, people do say, oh, you need thick skin. And sure, you do. But there's like, Also comes a point where it's just kind of like, you know what? No, this is bullshit. This is bullshit. So that's what happened at the Denver Post pretty much. Is that I ended up fucking up a few times uh, while I was there for six months. I ended up having to write three corrections. Okay? That's a lot. And I think that I'm, I'm only better than... There one intern that was a few years prior to me who plagiarized from the New York Times. I don't know how she did it. I don't know well, I don't know how, but I, I don't know why she would do that. I don't know. But at least I didn't do that. <laughs> sure, they thought that I was a shit reporter and a shit writer, but for fuck's sake, I created my own work. But y- y- they just didn't like me. So... It was part of the reason why I decided to move to California because I wanted a fresh start because when you're an intern at the Denver Post, a lot of the editors from other publications are looking at you because, well, they just think that you have something because you're the Denver Post intern. You know, you're like the chosen one or whatever. And so they're looking for a new hire that they can bring on board at minimum wage And, you know, overwork pretty much, which is what happened uh, with the offer from the Brighton Blade, um, the newspaper up in Brighton. I was interviewing with the editor and she literally told me that you're going to be overworked and underpaid. But, you know, we all have to pay our dues and whatever. The thing is, I don't believe in that. I don't. I think that everybody deserves a livable wage all the time. I don't think that you should have to prove yourself or work for it or pay your dues. I don't believe that. And I literally told her that. I didn't tell her that like verbatim, but I did say, I deserve a livable wage. You're offering me minimum wage. And I mean, she pretty much told me tough shit. And I said, no, thank you. And so she was pretty upset about that. She thought that I was making a huge mistake. She thought that I was kind of... um, I thought I was better than that. I mean, yeah, I, I will admit. I'm not, I'm not better than your newspaper. I'm not better than your publication. I am better than minimum wage, though. And I think that literally everybody would say that about themselves. So that's not like a pretentious thing to say. I mean, that's just... I'm not going to let you try and make me think that I'm, I'm actually worth $12 an hour. It's not going to happen. So coupled with that coupled with the relationship that I had with the editors at the Denver Post and the way the other editors were talking, um, because my editors were talking to other editors, yada, yada. And I just wanted to be in a place where nobody knew I had been a miserable reporter and I had fucked up and that nobody liked me. So, and I had also really liked California and I just wanted bigger and better things. Denver is kind of a small, big city and I just wanted more. And I wanted to be challenged and I wanted a clean, fresh, new start to my life. So I put in my 30 days notice at my apartment. I threw away a bunch of shit, packed up everything else into my Toyota Prius and I drove to Las Vegas with my cat Mulder. I left my cat Molder at my aunt's house with her two cats so I could land in Los Angeles and not have to worry about toting a cat around because I just wanted to find a place to live and not be on the street and then work on finding a cat-friendly place, which actually worked out pretty well. So I rented a place with this random dude who I will tell you the story later. He was awful. I can't even describe (laughs) if that's a different story for a different day. So I lived with him for a month, found a place in like North Long Beach uh, with two other women in a house. It was a great find. Found it on Reddit. Bellissimo. It was amazing. It was great. So I moved in there um, with my cat. And worked at Starbucks, um, found a different job at a receptionist place that I will also tell you the story of later because I ended up suing them. I obviously can't tell you where because I signed an NDA, but I can tell you some things and I will tell you that in a different episode, but I was working there while I was also pitching newspapers in and around Southern California and I met up with an editor of the beach reporter which was a weekly newspaper which i didn't i had always worked at dailies so this was a little different but dailies generally are harder to work at because the turn like the rate of which you have to create and pump out stories is obviously a lot quicker when you have a weekly i mean you have a whole fucking week to work on the the issue so it was it was a little bit of a step down, but it was a stepping stone. So I was like, whatever. So she was a little bit on the fence. She loved the fact that I had the Denver Post on my resume. I think she actually called one of my editors, which I hate. I hate that. But oh well. And she comes to me and she says, we are interested in giving you a shot. Um, I don't know. Let us think on it type thing or whatever. So I had actually called one of my editors who hated me the least at the Denver Post, <laughs> and told her what I was doing, where I was, how it was going, because I was pretty sure that my um, the Beach Reporter editor had called her, and I kind of wanted to see what was going on. So she had recommended that I that I should pitch her a story and. So I went to their coverage area, which was the uh, beach city. So it was Redondo, Manhattan, and Hermosa. And I drove around, just drove around aimlessly. And I actually found this, like, billboard, this kind of, like, poster that was, like, hung up over the street advertising a surf festival. And I was like, I can do that. Like, I can do that. And so... I emailed the editor from the beach reporter and I said, there's a surf festival coming up. I'm available if you need. And she goes, actually, yeah, we could use you. Go ahead, go out there, report, do your thing, write something up, send it in. So I did. And she liked it. (laughs) Crazy. Um, (laughs) So she started giving me more assignments. And that's how I got in. She literally paid me like $40 a story, which is like fucking nothing. But whatever. You know, I was in. So started getting more assignments with that um, publication. I could only do it on the weekends because I had this other job, right? Because how the fuck are you going to pay the bills with $40 a few times a month? <laughs> so should the barely covered gas. But... I started getting more stories. And then the most pivotal thing that I has ever happened in my career short of getting the Denver Post internship, which even though I biffed it, changed my entire career. This next thing is, I would say, bigger than that. So they had a daily called the Daily Breeze. And they covered torrents and uh el segundo like the uh, the beach cities as well It, it was pretty much everything from the airport which was in el segundo all the way down to hermosa question mark it was uh fuck it was south bay that's what they called it it was south bay in southern california that was their coverage area so and that's pretty big it was a pretty big publication it was a daily it was actually like the biggest publication in that area and you know what happened that editor, one of the editors there, emailed me and said, Hi, Shannon, I've seen your bylines in The Beach Reporter, and I've got to say, I've become quite the fan. I was wondering if you were available to cover some stuff for us. And I just about fucking died. To this day, uh, I'm like, I, I, sometimes I'll have a little flashback of a moment. I remember reading that email and drew, like dropping my phone throwing my phone on the ground, smashing it into oblivion (laughs) because I couldn't believe that I had just gotten this email. That was like my big break, literally. Literally, though. And so I started working for them. I started freelancing for them. They had a higher pay rate, which is great. And then when shit popped off at my actual job you know, my nine to five that I ended up suing later on. That's actually why I quit or why I went into freelancing full time is I was suing them. I could have actually stayed there while I was working there and they couldn't fire me because it would have been a retaliation, but I didn't want to. My attorney didn't recommend it. So I quit and I told my editor, I said, I'm quitting my nine to five and I'm jumping I'm making the jump into freelance full-time. So I will be available for stories whenever. <laughs> and he replied, making the jump, wear a helmet. <laughs> and then started giving me stories during the week. Um, he, he had mentioned to me that I became his go-to um, in terms of, you know, whenever he had an assignment that needed to be covered from a freelancer or a stringer, um, it would go to me first. He would hit me up first. So, That was how I really made it in journalism as a freelancer in Southern California, the place that I wanted to be, the place where nobody knew that I had actually sucked. You know, they liked me. It was great. It was amazing. I couldn't believe it. And so now that I was getting these frequent bylines regularly in this big publication, I had more clips, you know, to show other editors at other publications. And since I had signed and I, I didn't sign a non-compete, I was able to pitch um, to other publications. And so that's what I did. And I left no stone unturned. I was going to Society of Professional Journalists, the Society of Professional Journalists meetups, where literally everyone went broadcast People from the Los Angeles Times, people who were looking for a job who didn't have a publication, podcasters, um, radio people, people who had blogs, like everyone was at these mixers and everybody was schmusing, everybody was, you know, had their business cards and they were trading business cards and it was like just, I miss that so much. Networking was my favorite part of the job. Um, did I like it more than writing? Sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. Because there were times where like, like I said, writing was like pulling teeth. I don't know why it just happened that way. But I was really good at networking. I was really good at making a great first impression and being memorable. And I would meet them, and then a couple days later, I would send them an email, be like, hey, we met at the SBJ Mixer, um, you know, just wanted to send you this follow-up email. I'm available if you need, I'm available for this, keep in touch, blah, 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 blah. And I got so much work from that. And I met so many people. And it was definitely like, like I was doing it. <laughs> I was out there, I was doing it. And... Eventually, it had led to me getting an interview as an education reporter at the Daily Pilot, which is the southern, more southern, so it was like a uh, Huntington Beach um, publication of the Los Angeles Times. So it's their sister magazine or not magazine, their sister publication. And so I got an interview for education at that publication. But the thing was, is that I had been general assignment my entire career. I didn't have a beat. I, I, I didn't have long term relationships with people who worked in education or anything, really. So that was their main concern with me, is that I didn't, mostly that I didn't have any experience on a beat. Any beat, not just education. And I didn't get it. But I was able to finagle with that editor getting a few assignments as a freelancer because, you know, they said, oh, you know, we went with somebody else, but we're always needed freelancers. And I was like, all right, let's do it. You know, like I'm, I'm available. I'll drop everything for you. <laughs> didn't say that but it was implied. And so they gave me a few assignments. I was so fucking nervous. I mean, when they paid me, I mean, I invoiced the Los Angeles Times. It was insane. It was insane. My 12-year-old self was like screaming, crying, throwing up, you know? My parents were so proud of me, my aunt was so proud of me. It was it was nuts what I had been able to finagle. It was um a little bit unbelievable to be honest and like i said i this happened in 14 months and i've double checked that math i've counted it multiple times i put it in one of those calculators online that you know calculates the the time in between a, one date and another date seriously uh it's 14 months insanity so and like i said i wasn't even very good people like didn't even like me so if i can do that this girl random lady from alaska who nobody even likes people you know like that guy from my class looking at her to fail and i managed to pull it off bro, anyone can do that. If I can do that, anyone can do that. I know that like people say that like, oh, well, like it doesn't matter who you are, you can get it done. But like really taking all of that into consideration, I don't know how that happened. And it's really just a terrible case of imposter syndrome. I know that because like I said, every time I sent in a story, I was always prepared for my editor to reply, what the fuck is this? Because I I could never understand and accept where I was, who I was working for. And I had to remind myself, Shannon, they're not doing this for a favor, okay? They're not just like throwing you a bone. Maybe the reporter or the editor did at the at the weekly like the first one you know the the one where she was like oh i don't know and then like i i pitched her and like we went from there yeah maybe she did throw it she did she threw me a bone yeah but everything else was earned everything else was because i worked for it and it's just that's the hardest part to accept in myself that i'm worthy of that and that I earned that, and that I'm good enough for that. It's something that I still struggle with to this day. I mean, you could probably tell the way I'm talking about it. And it definitely made a, um, I took that into consideration when t- trying to feel out whether I wanted to continue with this career or not. Because... Anyone who's had a crippling case of imposter syndrome, and that's what it was. It was, cripple- it was, it was crippling, and it was paralyzing at times. Right? Where especially when I, had, when I had three corrections under my belt at the post, I would sit in, my, in front of my computer and not be able to write. I physically couldn't write. I was paralyzed with fear that I was going to fuck up again. I actually went to one of my editors and I told her that. You know, I said that. I can't write, I'm so scared. I'm so scared of fucking up again. I can't fuck up again. I'm paralyzed with fear. And she said, that makes total sense. Which kind of wasn't what I wanted to hear. But, you know, she helped. (laughs) I mean, the only thing that you can really do is push through it. A lot of, like I said, writing is just generally uncomfortable anyway. So, you know, some advice was to call your source and say every sentence that you are on the fence about, or maybe just every sentence in your story and say, is that accurate? You know, so you don't have to write a correction because I will tell you, I've had a lot of pain in my life. A lot of messy breakups, a lot of fails, a lot of embarrassing moments where I felt two inches tall. And absolutely, positively, without a doubt, writing a correction, finding out that you have to write a correction is the worst feeling I've ever felt in my entire life. It makes me want to jump in front of a truck. Makes me want to never see anyone ever again. Makes me want to hide my face. Makes me want to run and hide. Did I cry at my cubicle? No. I didn't. I cried in the bathroom. I tried to hold that shit in a different moment. But... Based on my demeanor, it was very obvious that I was having a hard time. And it was just a lot of self-esteem issues, as you you might be able to tell. (laughs) But the thing is, is that being an artist is very, very difficult. Creating is so fucking difficult. And doing it as a profession, it's damn near impossible without, like, some imposter syndrome some moments where you sit there and you're like why the fuck do I do this what am I doing especially when I smoke weed (laughs) when I smoke weed I think about literally everything that I've done and I'm like wow I'm so embarrassing I don't know why like I said it's something to do with my inner child and I am working on it but you know I think about When I had a blog, and like I said uh, in a few episodes before this, like the catfish episode, my first episode, talking about how people judge you when you create something. You have obviously seen a shit ton of tweets saying, why does everybody have a podcast? And like, everybody has a podcast now, blah, blah, blah. But like, who gives a fuck? There are also a bunch of streamers on Twitch who don't have any viewers, ever. Ever. They just do it because they like it. When I first started my blog, no one was reading that shit. Obviously, when I first started this podcast, nobody was listening to it. I still don't have a lot of listeners, to be honest. But I kind of don't care because I'm having fun. And right now, this is the creative outlet that feeds my soul. And it shifts for me. So it's not always writing. It's not always painting. It's not always photography. It shifts. It cycles. And to me, that's the spice of life. I don't want to do the same thing day in and day out for the rest of my life. I want to experience everything that I can. And like I said, I've tried to have a podcast before. It didn't work out. It wasn't the right time. Now I feel like this is absolutely the right time. I feel so good about creating. And that's invaluable. If every single person in my life came to me and said, that's fucking stupid, Shannon. You're an idiot. I don't care. (laughs) I don't care because it doesn't matter if other people like it. When I was a journalist, I have this huge whiteboard that's like meant for classrooms and it stood up right now, like a portrait mode. And in big letters, when I was a journalist, it's actually not written on there right now, but maybe I should rewrite it. It said, do you like it? Because I was creating for other people. I reached the point where I wasn't even concerned if I liked it. I was so heavily focused on if my editor liked it and if my readers liked it. And like, oh my God, what if they don't like it? Okay, and there's always going to be someone who doesn't like it. There's always going to be somebody who's who thinks it's stupid. Okay, those people don't matter. Do you like it? Are you having fun? Why do people think that their opinion holds any regard? <laughs> I haven't judged somebody's art in years, because I know how it feels. I've had people want me to judge other people's art. I've had somebody literally bring me their cell phone. Okay, emergency vehicle. I had somebody bring me their cell phone with somebody's art pulled up on it and said, what do you think about this? Don't you think it like kind of looks kind of weird? And I was like, I don't know. It looks normal. <laughs> and a lot of people actually don't like it when I say something looks normal. Um, one time in the Vanderpump Rules subreddit, people were talking about Sheena Shea's baby, Sheena Marie Shea, Sheena, Sheena Jenkin. <laughs> she had a baby and everybody was saying, isn't she so cute? And I'm like one of those people who like just I, babies or whatever. And I said, she looks like a normal baby. And I got downvoted. Because people don't want to hear that things are normal, which is weird because being normal is a good thing. It would be fucked up if I said that that baby looks abnormal. That baby looks abnormal. That baby does not look normal. That would be fucked up and weird to say. But no, I said the baby looked normal and people had a problem with that. You know what else people had a problem with when I said it looked normal? When I was in esthetician school, women, other women like my age, a lot of them younger, whatever, would do their makeup. And they would be like, how does it look? And I'm not a big, like, you know, like people on Instagram wear a shit ton of makeup, you know? And I'm not dogging at all, okay? It's just not for me personally. I don't like the way my face looks. It makes my skin feel weird. Anyway, they'll wear foundation, contour, concealer, blush, eyebrows, the, the whole nine. Like 15 different products. And I think that it looks freaking weird (laughs) like weird and 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 sometimes mostly what it is is they make their face look so perfect that it's like uncanny uncanny valley almost so sometimes i would have people in esthetician school you know kind of talk shit about themselves and how they looked without any makeup and i would say you look normal and they would hate that I, i don't understand it I don't understand how that's a bad thing, but they took offense to it. I don't, I don't know, but I will literally not judge someone's art ever because like I said at the beginning of this episode, who cares what I think? <laughs> Seriously, I know where my value stands in judging other people's work And it's low, (laughs) low as fuck, because all all art is subjective. Who gives a fuck? So that's just all I wanted to say about the decision that I made to shift my creative outlets, because a lot of that was in journalism. I literally didn't really do anything else that was creative. I I painted, but I'm also kind of taking a painting break. So right now I'm just doing this, which is fine. And like, if it's some people find it boring, okay, then don't listen. Whatever. Oh my God, can we just do whatever we want? (laughs) Yes, we can. So man, that was my story of how I went from writing for free to writing for money for the Los Angeles Times in 14 months. Um... I actually didn't really go over a lot of like the ins and outs business wise of being able to do this and get it done. And so that does leave the door open for me recording another episode on how to do that. Because I do think that it's it's very valuable and I would love to help people. I know that there are people out there who want to work with editors and want to have their shit judged endlessly. I know y'all are out there, (laughs) and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it it really is a rush, and it really does make you feel "Mm, so validated. But I don't need that anymore. I'm resting on my laurels because they're comfortable. They're so comfortable. I'm not leaving. (laughs) I have no interest in, quote-unquote, accomplishing anything else to the standard of corporate life and what other people think that you should be accomplishing in terms of a fancy, fancy job title. My God, does that not matter? So, so much. I have to throw in here as like a little bonus story of the time that I interviewed at iHeartRadio. And they ended up... Dealing my work. So I had to go to a few interviews. So the first one was obviously just like a basic interview, just make sure that you're like, not weird or anything like that. And obviously that one was fine. Made it through. I did a writing test too. A super basic, easy writing test. Okay. Loud truck. Again, living in the city. So it was just it was pretty much just like go online, find some stories and then like rewrite them or some shit like that. I don't know, it was like basic just like backgrounder story. Did it, totally fine, chill. They brought me in for a second interview. Second interview was more like can you do this actual job? So, well, no, that would have been the third interview. So the actual job was for an overnight Um, position, writing the news bits or blurbs, whatever the DJs or radio hosts would say in between playing music. So I literally asked, his name was John, I asked John for clarification. So do you want me to write something for these hosts to read on the news For them to digest and then regurgitate out in their own words and their own style. You know, so like, just giving them the need-to-know basics of a story that they would then, you know, say in their own words. Or, do you want me to write a script? Something that they would end up saying verbatim. And he said, a little bit of both, which... I immediately thought to myself, John, that's not, uh, that's how, Uh, how? So I did my best to give him both, even though it was like kind of impossible. So the first part was like a a kind of a script, what they would say. And then the second part was like a a backgrounder. Or maybe it was reversed because that would make sense to actually read it. As the backgrounder and then get to the script. Anyway, so that's what I turned in. And he looked at it and he said, what's all this? And I said, well, you wanted a little bit of both. Here's that part and then here's this part. He was like, no, 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 we would never say that. And I was like, well, that's not the part you say. That's the part that you read to yourself so you have background information so then you can then regurgitate it in your own style. He said, no, 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 we want a script. For fuck's sake, bro, I asked you. And so I went back and redid it to what he wanted because... (laughs) now he realized what he wants um, and wrote a script and he was reading it and he burst out laughing and he goes this is perfect oh my god I love this I'm gonna say this and took what I wrote copied and pasted it into his portal or whatever they used at that station um, for their web scripts type thing copied and pasted it and set it on air he took my script that I wrote in an in an interview for a job for a position at that radio station, and said it on air. My work, what I wrote, did I get the job? No, I didn't. I didn't get the job. I didn't get the job. I didn't get paid for what I wrote because technically at the time I was a freelancer. So like, my rate is like you owe me money, John. <laughs> What the fuck was that? I'm pissed about that to this day. That's, that's theft. (laughs) Anyway, that's all I have for you. That's, I think that's it. That's, you know how it is. I always think about something else, but I think that's it.